This is episode 27. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. Earthquakes are a common occurrence in California, but the big ones, let's say a 6.0 or larger, don't happen every week, thank goodness. But the state is working on installing a new early warning system that could give us enough notice to take important steps to save lives and property. In this episode, we sit down with Tina Curry, Cal OES's top earthquake early warning system expert. She'll answer the question a lot of people have. Why does Mexico and Japan have an EEW system and California doesn't? She'll also tell us what the new system could do and how the test system helped during a real-world scenario, the Napa earthquake. Pop quiz for you. Do you know how fast an earthquake can travel? We'll have the answer and much more right now. Well, you don't have to live in California to know that earthquakes can be frightening. They can be very damaging. They can be deadly. Um, but those of us who do live in California certainly know, we know about them. They're on our minds quite often. Uh, people who know us, our family and friends who live outside of California, say they can't imagine living in California because of the earthquakes. But we do. And Tina Curry is here. Actually, we're in your office today. Thanks for letting us invade. You have earthquakes on your mind a lot more than, the most, than most of us, right? It's on your mind because this is what you do. You are the Deputy Director of Planning, Preparedness, and Prevention, uh, of course, which includes the Cal OES Earthquake and Tsunami Program. And one of the newer inclusions here is the Earthquake Early Warning Division. What in the heck is that, Tina? Um, well, Earthquake Early Warning is, I think everyone knows what earthquakes are, but Earthquake Early Warning is actually an early detection of an earthquake. So. What we know in California having experienced earthquakes is that they happen without notice. So we're aware of that risk and we're prepared for it and we've, we've um, experienced earthquakes, but we haven't yet had this early detection capability, which is scientifically possible, it's proven, and it already exists in other countries like Japan and Mexico. So we're building that in California. So those other countries have it, and uh, do they have a similar system uh, to each other, or do they each have sort of their own version? Uh? Well, it's their own version because geography and earthquake threat is very different in different places. Um, so the systems are built you know, based on, on those, and certainly California's will be unique to us as well. Okay, so uh, when did California first start exploring, seriously exploring the possibility of an early system or an early warning system? Well, the scientists and our academic partners have been exploring and aware of this technology for some time, for, for many years. And in fact, a prototype system has existed in California for, for many years as well. So there are, there are entities, you know, cities, counties, businesses that are using this prototype system, including Cal OES, to understand how earthquake early warning will work so that when it does go live to the public, we've already, um, in a sense, tested it. It was in 2016, I believe, where the governor uh, held his press conference and made the official announcement of 
our investment and commitment to this early system, this early warning system. That system had been in sort of what, a beta test prior to that? How did that go? Um, well, the testing is ongoing. Um, so like I mentioned before, Cal OES is actually one of the testing entities. So when an earthquake occurs, for example, the Napa earthquake back in 2014, we were able to see, even though that wasn't a large magnitude quake in somewhere here like Sacramento, we were able to see how the system detected it and how many seconds of uh, what we call the early warning were available to, in a sense, show that that earthquake was coming. And so that time period between the detection and the actual shaking is very important. There's a lot of things that can be done, and that's really what the benefit of the early warning brings. And we'll get to that in just a moment, but I want to go back to the whole idea of the, the Napa earthquake and the kind of warning that we got there. Um, have you heard of any uh, anecdotal evidence that, that indicates that it was effective in any way, shape, or form for the Napa earthquake? that approved the concept, but because the system wasn't yet in the hands of every single person, cell phone, entity, because that's what we're building, then of course it wasn't, uh, the early warning wasn't available to everyone. But again, the purpose of a test is to prove the concept, because certainly we wouldn't have something in the hands of everyone until we're absolutely certain that it's working as best it can. We have a responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility, to make sure that whatever system we're investing in is money spent wisely, right? And I think that's, that's important to note here. There are a lot of people who think, well, God, we should have had this a long time ago. Well, you can jump on any early system that you want, but it's not necessarily going to bring you the rewards that you're hoping to get, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it does take some investment in order to research any type of program enough to make sure that it works. So really, you have to invest up front, and that certainly has been done. Um, by our university academic partners, the scientific agencies. That's what got us the prototype that exists today. But then, you know, investment in building it out too, based on that test. So it has to be thoughtful, it has to be um, procedural so that you're building from success and learning. And certainly with this investment of funds that the state is making, we're now going to be able to take this to fruition. So coming to fruition, what's the timetable? What are we looking at here? Well, we're right now, we're building, what needs to happen for earthquake early warning is sensors in the ground. The sensors in the ground are what detect and create this, this um, uh, precursor notice of a, of a forthcoming earthquake. And that needs to be robust, meaning we need to have a lot of sensors in very specific places throughout the state so that areas that would be impacted by an earthquake actually are um, receiving that notice in a timely fashion because we don't know, unfortunately, where or when an earthquake will happen. So building that density is our focus with a lot of the funding. So once that's done, then we can take what we've learned from the prototype and actually start deploying the actual warnings into the into the hands of the agencies and the people that need it. So uh, we have to wait until everything is, is installed, running, and tested before we can actually release it. Not necessarily. It's not quite that straightforward. We may be able to release it in certain places in, um, um, before others. Um, again, building from success. We want to look at our highest risk areas, the, the, the places where there's most population. There's a lot of technical components to this, too, in, in terms of just adding another system to, for example, our cell phones. Um, people need, you know, that needs to happen. We need to have the technology to be able to do that. And then importantly, there needs to be an education program. So part of this is doing like what we're doing now is talking about it and getting the word out. But individuals in California need to know what to do when that warning, it's not enough just to give it to get it to them. So we're really trying to build this comprehensive program that attends to all of these things 
at the right time so that when it does come together, we set everything up for success, not just for the technology, the success of the technology, but also for um, the ability to people to receive, understand, and take action based on it. I've heard that the warnings can range from anywhere to less than a second to tens of seconds. What can you tell me about the, the length of the warning itself? Well, we hope with time, like anything, that that warning could be longer. But of course, um, we have to start somewhere, and there's a lot of value that can happen even in a few seconds. It's going to depend, but they're saying anywhere from 20, 30 seconds to a minute, and it depends on your proximity to the earthquake fault as to how many seconds you will have warning. And it also depends on the location of these sensors that we're talking about. So we're strategically placing them in areas that are um, proximal to the earthquake faults and proximate to the people so that we make the best decision on the placement. So if you think about it like other detection system, we have um, a lot of things that can be done in an automated fashion that don't necessarily require human intervention. And that's the value added that this early detection for earthquakes can bring. If you think, um, even though it's not exactly the same, if you think of things like sprinkler systems and buildings that detect a fire might be happening before it's, it's too late um, and actually trigger that action to prevent um, damage from occurring or prevent you know, the fire from spreading. This is similar to that. We're really hoping that um, in addition to getting the uh, notice to people so they can take action in those few seconds they may have, also that the early detection will trigger automated actions or mechanical um, systems um, that might be dangerous if they're in affected by an earthquake. Trains is the one example where you can uh, imagine that if an early warning can get to a fast moving train in time to stop the train before it derails or before the earthquake's shaking, that would be just an immeasurable um, safety feature that would save lives, protect people from injuries. So that's just one of many examples mm -hmm. that, we're, yeah. that we're contemplating will be that this early warning system will be able to help with to improve safety. For sure. BART, Amtrak, the new high-speed rail yeah. system. Oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine going 150 plus miles per hour and all of a sudden having an earthquake and that system not be in place. Speed and earthquakes and moving tracks do not mix well together, do they? Yeah. The benefit there is protection of, of lives and hopefully mitigating any kind of extensive damage and, and costs of repair. Besides trains, what are some other things that you can think of that someone in California, a taxpayer, says, okay, now I get it. This is why we should invest in something like this. There's a lot of critical infrastructure, what we call, that we're, we're dependent on. Power systems, energy, natural gas, um, health care. There's, you know, just goes on and on. And, and if we can contemplate some of the automated actions that any one of those sort of life-dependent systems can employ because of the early warning, really the possibilities are quite vast. Um, if, if, a, if a power company or a natural gas company could, could figure out automated actions or get their workforce to a safe place, you know, we can not only prevent injuries, but perhaps ahead of the earthquake, uh, prevent some of the, the losses or impacts to those critical lifelines that would otherwise happen. Um, on the area of healthcare, one of the one of the things that we're exploring is hospitals that are doing you know critical procedures 
that could benefit from knowing you know a little bit ahead to, se to secure those patients, um, to stop procedures, um, secure their air control systems, maybe start their redundant power systems ahead of the quake. I mean, there's really a lot of things to, to explore that, that, that potentially exists where you know, the life safe, safety, saving actions or the injury prevention um, can really be massive in the, in the face of adversity. And here's a little something that uh, Rob Mayberry, our producer for the day, sitting right next to me, came up. A little trivia information. Did you know this? Firehouse doors will open during EEW, and apparently that's because of lessons learned during the Northridge and 1989 earthquakes. What's the impetus there? Yeah, I think maybe that, um, that I guess to kind of phrase that a different way, is that one of the damaging, harmful things that could happen in an earthquake is that the, the, um, uh, the doors themselves could get damaged to sudden extent that they could not open therefore first responders could not uh, attend to the emergency because of that, of, of that glitch, if you will. Mm -hmm. What we are hoping, one of the benefits of early warning will be, is to automate, uh, anticipate that damaging, shaking, and in an automated way raise the doors of the fire stations so that, or the ambulance, or you know, where, wherever the first response capability is, ahead of the damage, avoid that damage, uh, be able to um, immediately respond to what they know will be a, a, um, a public safety response once an earthquake has occurred. So that is one of the benefits we anticipate. Well, and equally as important to me and maybe a lot of other listeners is that this EEW system will also uh, automatically start up my margarita machine uh, so that we can enjoy a nice cocktail while we're waiting for first responders to. <laughs> that would be <laughs> <laughs> You know, hey, let's celebrate. We survived. <laughs> there might be. Well, everything is uh, communicating with each other now. Refrigerators and, I mean, you name it, everything is communicating via Wi-Fi, which is really kind of scary. All right, coming up in the next segment, when can Californians expect to see an EEW system in action? And what about getting those warnings on your phone? And think Superman times 10. But it has nothing to do with leaping tall buildings in a single bound. And remember that All Hazards comes out every other Tuesday, and we'd love for you to subscribe. You can do that at the iTunes Store or Google Play. You can also listen by going to oesnews.com and clicking on Podcasts near the top of the page. Of course, we'd love to get your feedback. Join the conversation on any of the podcast episode pages or send us an email at questions at caloes.ca.gov. Now back to Tina Curry. California's Earthquake Early Warning System. Of course, this is where we insert the sound effect of the cash register. This is also going to cost us money. It costs money. That's just the way things are. What kind of cost are we looking at here for at least the first stage of implementation? Well, to build, we need um, over um, 1,100 or so sensors. And each one of those has a cost. They need to be installed and they need to be maintained. So the build-out part of this, including that initial public education campaign, if you will, we're estimating at about $28 million statewide. So it's not a small cost, um, but you know, again, when we look at the loss avoidance, the potential cost savings down the line, I think most agree that, it, that, that it's, it's value added, um, just the life, the life and injury prevention alone. The, there's an ongoing cost as well. Um, this is equipment, it's mechanical, and it's gonna require maintenance, and it's gonna require upkeep. 
and it's going to require research to make it better and, and improved over time. So we're estimating that to be you know somewhere in the in the range of seventeen million dollars a year to keep it going. But if you look at the you know the costs of an earthquake and um, not just the 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 sort of intangibles of, of um, life and lost and, and injury and and productivity lost, but um, the actual loss avoidance to damages to production to um, businesses being able to get back online in a timely fashion, really those start to, those benefits start to show themselves and it really doesn't make sense to not have this because we can have it. Tell me an earthquake story from your own personal life. Have you ever gone through one? I have gone through some aftershocks that were significant. So one of the things we do here at Cal OES is respond to disasters and help with the recovery once they do occur. Certainly earthquakes have been a, been a, a fact and, and a, a, common, a somewhat common occurrence in our California's history. So I have, I've been through a few pretty strong aftershocks um, while, while on disaster yeah. duty to, to some of those um, events in California. But I live in Sacramento, fortunately we don't seem to have as much, um, although I wouldn't say it's out of the question. Yeah, for sure. When, uh, when you were feeling the ground move beneath your feet, what went through your mind besides, oh, this is an earthquake? Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> terrifying. Was it? I mean, and I think that the, the thing is, is you, you, you know, it, it comes without warning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just there. And even though we mentally know that earthquakes are a fact and they have happened and it's not a matter of if but when, we've had to live with the notion that they'll, come, they'll appear without any notice. It's not like the weather. Mm-hmm. It's not like other types of hazards where, not that they're any easier to deal with, but at least we have, we can mentally assure ourselves that we'll have a little bit of notice to do something about it. This yeah. early warning potential gives us that. Uh, I certainly didn't get a warning the first time that I, I felt my first earthquake. I had just moved to California from Montana. This was in 1989. And I remember sitting at my desk in my, my room and working on some term paper or something like that. And all of a sudden, I felt the floor like, like a wave was going through the floor. And for a minute, I kind of got a little dizzy. I'm like, what is going on? And then it dawned on me this was an earthquake and this was late at night you know I was probably writing a last minute term paper or something went to my roommate and said oh my god there was just an earthquake wasn't there yes that was a wild experience and that's really even though I've lived in California for other earthquakes that was the one that really stood out of course I was here for the bay you know the bay bridge series when that earthquake hit I didn't feel that at all so it is. It can be frightening. At a minimum, it can send your head spinning. What is going on? So a little, a little warning would have been nice to, to brace yourself. So we've already talked about some of the reasons why we need it. And we've also briefly talked about some of the other countries that are using it. But we know, too, that there are other states in America that are endure earthquakes. And a lot of it now is because of the fracking that's going on. We understand that there is a connection there. Oklahoma has a lot of earthquakes. Are there any other states that, are, that have their own system, or is California the first one? Well, California will, will likely be the first one to deploy earthquake early warning for you know, for full public use. But okay. um, other states with earthquake risk, especially here on the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, are, you know, going to be close behind. And the U.S. Geologic Survey um, at the federal government is very invested in this capability and this program, and they're interested in having a national capability. Um, we're leading the way in, to, uh, to a great degree with the, with the um, legislation and the funding that we put towards it. But what we do here in California um, can and should benefit other states. Like, let's test it here. Let's learn from what we do here. 
and absolutely uh, improve the deployment as those other states get ready to do the same thing, um, we really look at it as a national capability that may be starting here first, but hopefully will be helpful to those other states in, um, in not having to reinvent the wheel, but just springboard from that. Talking about the costs, uh, this is an interesting fact here. At least 12 onshore earthquakes of magnitude 7.0 or more have struck California since 1700. And that includes, of course, the San Francisco earthquake of 1906, which was a 7.8, obviously caused a lot of fire and 3,000 deaths, which is incredible to think about. But the cost here was $524 million in just property damage. $524 million in 1906. I don't know what the conversion is. I'll look that up. But that's incredible. $524 million nowadays would be a lot of money. You're looking into the billions of dollars here. So when you're talking about the cost, you weigh the benefits. That right there is a good indicator of the benefit. If you can mitigate that kind of damage, whether it's damage to human life, whether it's damage to property, it's worth it. A little bit about the reliability issue here. Uh, still beta testing, still testing it out. We're still building the system. But obviously, the reliability of this system is, has yet to be determined, but it seems like it should work technically, scientifically. We have the capability. We have the knowledge. We have the financial backing. It should be reliable. Nothing is 100% foolproof. Right. And this will be one of many tools in our toolkit to uh, cope with earthquakes. If you think about all we've done to prepare our building codes, um, now earthquake early warning. These, we're just adding to the, to, to the tools that we have to deal with this threat that we can't prevent entirely. Is it going to be 100% reliable? We certainly hope so. We know that, that in reality, there's going to be some glitches and there may be things, there's you know, concerns for things like false alarms and what's the cost of having false alarms? What's the tolerance of the public going to be if there's too many? We need to be mindful of all those things, um, be able to move forward, because it's important to do this, understanding there will be some risk and in terms of the uh, reliability, but, but commit to improve that reliability over time. And we're really only gonna be able to do that by, by deploying it, testing it, learning from, from how it works, fixing things that, that, um, that uh, need to be improved, and then continuing to, to make it better and better over time. So how does the public then, I mean, we're, we're talking about the automated reactions here. Uh, mechanically and whatnot. But in terms of the public, when could they expect to start getting notifications on their phones or their emails or over the airwaves? How is that going to happen and when do we kind of see that window opening? Well, as we get the sensor build out accomplished over the uh, next couple of years, of course, that's the first and foremost. At the same time, we're working with the telecommunications industry. We know that I think it's something like 80 or 90 percent of the population has cell phones. That is the obvious way that this would um, make sense to, to deploy the warning. There will be other ways, like the traditional emergency alert system, you know, some type of um, notices that go through the TV, radio, just like other disaster warnings. But we really need to work through the, um, the cell phone issue. The one of the challenges with early warning is there's a demand for a really high speed of transmission. So we're only talking about a few seconds anyway. Um, that means it's got to move through the pipeline, get to your cell phone up here so that you could do something all within a very, very small budget of time. And so that's um, what makes it a little bit more of a, of a, of a challenge, but we're working with the, the, the telecommunications industry. They're aware of, of this need. 
and um, you know are, are trying to figure out ways to um, to make it move the signal move quick enough so that people can get it when the early warning occurs. So we want that all to happen in concert and not have one big significant piece sort of missing once we get the once we get the um, sensors in the ground. So we're working on all of it. So we're hoping for light speed, not dial-up speed here, right? Listen, we know that uh, nowadays cable systems can send you their signal using fiber optic, which is light. Why not a system like this utilizing fiber optic, light speed? I mean, earthquakes travel, what, 10 times faster than a speeding bullet? That's Superman speed here, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's all super, and we want things to move that quickly. Um, the, as I understand it, though, the pipeline by which those signals are delivered are not necessarily limitless in their size. So there's a demand response to, to, um, to uh, telecommunications or communications that needs to accommodate a lot of information, have to move very quickly to a lot of people without really knowing where that's going to need to occur. So, um, so yes, things can happen quickly. We've got to figure out a way to um, match that, um, that need, that speed of information with what technology can actually um, take in and deliver to the public. So that's why we have to carefully orchestrate this with the with the telecommunications industry. You are getting warnings now on there's amber alerts, there's there's um, a weather warnings. Lots of things come very quickly to the cell phones, but yeah. even those are moving slower than what earthquake early warning needs to be able to do. So yeah, and those are th- those are involving uh, human interaction. Mm-hmm. So if we can somehow eliminate that human interaction, that's where the speed is going to really kick in uh 10 times faster than superman we're talking about six miles per second that's how fast an earthquake can travel uh, through the ground so of course every second or in this case every millisecond does count so the faster and more reliable this system can be the more effective it can be tina thanks so much you are the deputy director of planning preparedness and prevention here at cal oes in the earthquake and tsunami program and of course the newly formed relatively newly formed Earthquake Early Warning Division. Tina Curry, thank you so much. We appreciate the information, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. So some pretty cool things came out of this podcast. I hope you noticed as well that we have a system that is in its prototype and testing phase and that it's doing pretty well. We are currently installing roughly 1,100 sensors around California, and that California could be the very first state, in fact, it should be the very first state, to implement a new EEW system, although there are other states that will follow suit fairly shortly. Of course, getting these messages on the smartphone is really the ideal goal here, and it is the priority, but there are certain technical limitations that they're working through. In fact, we're working with telecommunications companies, and it could be just a couple of years before we are receiving these warnings from around the state. And remember again that All Hazards comes out every other Tuesday and we'd love for you to subscribe. You can do that at the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. You can also listen to us by going to oesnews.com and clicking on podcasts near the top of the page. Of course, we'd love to get your feedback there. Be sure to join the conversation on any of the podcast episode pages or send us an email at questions at caloes.ca.gov. I'm Sean Boyd, sitting alongside Rob Mayberry, our producer. Thank you for listening, and be safe out there. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout-out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.